Welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lindbergh. Like many of you, I'm living a life that I just did not expect. And over the years, I've come to value the idea of living HeartStrong, of growing through the challenges in my life, and let's face it, the challenges in our times. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. So each week, I talk to thought leaders, authors, experts, and everyday amazing people who have something to teach us all about living fully amidst our struggles. I have learned so much from others along my journey, and so I hope that my guests will help you on yours. Let's get started. So I'm really looking forward to to today's podcast. I've been wanting to bring on a professional athlete for quite some time because when I think about HeartStrong, for me personally, I think a lot about athletics, about pushing our bodies, our minds, and our spirits uh, past a level that we thought we were capable of. And I think about grit and perseverance. I grew up in a family of athletes, and I see a huge value in being part of a team. And so I'm really excited that today I get my opportunity Today, I'm sitting down with Jay Happ. Jay has been a professional Major League Baseball player for the last 13 plus years. He grew up in Illinois. He was a four-year letter winner in basketball and baseball in high school, and he went on to play college baseball with the Northwestern Wildcats. He was selected in the third round draft, 92nd overall in 2004 by the Philadelphia Phillies, and he chose to forego his senior season and sign with the Phillies that year. Jay's played baseball, as I mentioned, for over 13 years, and he won the World Series in 2008 with the Phillies and earned an all-star nomination in 2018 with the Toronto Blue Jays. As I always say on this podcast, we're more than just one thing. So Jay is a husband, a father, a brother, a son, an uncle, and a friend, and I'm sure many, many other things. He's married to his fabulous wife, Morgan, and they have three beautiful children and recently moved to Brentwood, Tennessee. So welcome to the podcast, Jay. Thank you for having me. Happy to yeah. be here. Thank you so much for, for making the time today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, I have lots of questions. So hopefully we'll get to them all. But I'd love to start like where it all began. Like, How did you become a professional baseball player? What was that journey like? Like, Take us back to like, when you were a kid. I have young boys that are 10 and 13 are really into sports. Like, What was that like and how did you get to where you are today? Um, I just, uh, growing up, I loved all sports. My first word was ball. And I just, <laughs> you know, growing up, if somebody asked me what I wanted to do for the longest time, I would just say be a professional athlete. Like uh, wow. at the time, it didn't matter which one. Um, though I ended up really loving basketball and baseball and honing in on those. But, um, you know, I just played a lot of sports growing up and then you know, when it was about time to try to find a college to go to, I wanted to try to, you know, play a sport there. And, um, I basically went to Northwestern in hopes of getting great education and see how the baseball thing played out. And as I learned more about the major league draft and how that all works, um, I just continued to kind of narrow that focus. And it became something that I realized I could maybe, maybe accomplish to at least get drafted and, and see where that went. So, that was kind of like growing up through through um, through college. Was there like a time when you're like you're like I think I actually have a shot? There was. It was after my freshman year. You know, you go into college, and I was always like, 
you know, I'm nervous. I'm thinking I'm probably going to be the worst player out of everybody, <laughs> you know, playing in the Big Ten. You know, I didn't know any difference. So it was like, well, let's see how I compare to all these people. And um, I compared fine and, and, and played well. So then I saw some of my other teammates, a couple would get drafted each year. So I started to realize this could really maybe be a possibility. Be something. Yeah. So like, what do you think set you apart? from other players? Cause I'm sure there are, there's other people that wanted the same outcome, but maybe didn't get it. Like, what do you, what was that for you? Um, you know, I think to like, maybe like once I got drafted and started my career, I kind of noticed um, in the minor leagues, some ways I, I might have an advantage was kind of self-discipline and work ethic. And I, I'm sure I just got that from my mom and dad, my dad, you know, always did everything a hundred percent. He never kind of let you kind of do something halfway. Mm -hmm. um, he always preached that. And, you know, I saw guys who maybe didn't like to train, maybe didn't like to eat healthy, maybe like to go out. And I kind of was a little more focused in those areas. Um, so I felt like even if our skill was close to the same, that maybe those advantages would help me long-term. Um, so I think maybe that's something that helped set me apart a little bit, okay. at least the longevity aspect of it. Yeah. You know, my son was watching man in the re the arena the other night with Tom Brady. I don't know. Have you seen that? I have not. No, it was really good. So he started watching it. And one of the things that Tom said that you just made me think of was he's like, talent will only get you so far. He's like, after that talent, you know, at some point it's about hard work. And what do you, what do you like, does that resonate with you? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm certainly not the most talented baseball player or athlete or any of that, but I think to reach the highest level you're capable of, you kind of got to fall in love with the process of it. Mm. And I, I, I fell in love with, with training and, and trying to work m with my body to kind of be able to perform at my top level. And, um, a lot of times some people might, might not love that part of it. And, uh, you know, for a sport in general, that's that's really important piece to it. Yeah, it's like like loving the process and learning your edges and then kind of trying to push those. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you get comfortable with the uncomfortable to where it almost becomes it's just like a it's a habit. It's part of your daily mm -hmm. There's no question. Like, am I going to do this? It's every day. Now it's a routine and that routine of of hard work. I think kind of breeds confidence as well. Like, uh, mm. cause then you feel like I did what I could do in the moment where it matters. So now let me go and, and play. And that's easier said than done. But like, if you know, you did the work now you're supposed to enjoy it. That doesn't mean you're not mm. going to have nerves and things aren't going to be scary and, you know, have a lot of anxiety, but at least you're prepared to where you can get in your moment to, to enjoy it. Hmm. So it's like hard work and preparation pays off in the end. Absolutely. And I think the main thing is for me, I think hard work always pays off, even if it's not quantifiable from the outside. I think it it breeds confidence and it creates mm -hmm. confidence because it's not easy to always do the the hard thing or the right thing or what needs to be done. But mm -hmm. um, if you keep that attitude, it, like I said, it becomes a routine. So then it, there's just no question. It, it's just gotta yeah. be done. 
I think like in our culture, like we love the gold medal podium, you know, or like the World Series winner. Like we love that to like look at that. But the reality, it was like that was a bunch of 4 a.m. wake ups that you didn't want to do and staying in on the weekends or eating the food. You know, I just think that that's something that I don't think we talk about enough, like in the world that that's really what it takes. It's like we always want the highs, but it took like so many unseen things to get there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think a lot of some, you know, people have different ways they kind of want to show that, you know, some people are very quiet about it. Some people are loud about it. Some people want to make you feel like they don't do anything, but they're still able to reach that. (laughs) The reality is, um, you know, deep down, none of us are just that talented. The, The people that are sort of getting to those feats and those heights are putting in a lot of a lot of behind the scenes work a lot of hard work yeah so you know i wanted to talk to you about like mindset you know because obviously you you operated at a pretty very high level for a really long time so did you use like any specific techniques like visualization or how did you kind of hone your mindset to keep at that level for that long of a time so that, that was a really challenging thing. And there I've had seasons where some have been better than others about like being really good at that and like mm-hmm. moving on to the next step. So definitely like some, I used to do some like short visual visualizations, like 20 to 30 seconds, a couple times a day before mm-hmm. a start. I didn't want to overload my, my mind with specifics. There was just a couple processes that I that I kind of went through but but I think more than anything along the way was being able to move on to the next thing um accepting what happened whether you could control it or not and then moving on to the next thing try to be as unflappable as you can um in that moment so and again some some games, years were better than others at that. Um, eventually it does, you know, it's hard to, to keep that mindset. But when I was at my best, I was able to, to move on quickly. How do you think you did that? How, how did you teach yourself to do that? I think, I think when I was at my best and able to move on the most, my foot, and I, and I don't know that I have an exact answer, but I just think my focus was, I was able to narrow my focus so much, not worried about, you know, for a baseball reference of like the guy on second base or third base or what my dugout's thinking or what my guys behind me are thinking, my manager. It was just narrowing the focus on what's the next objective. And when things were too loud and the other way, and I was worried about all that stuff, that's mm-hmm. when I, I struggled. Um, so I don't know. I wish I had a, a, a better understanding of how to get, you know, in that zone. Um, but it was, it was fun when, when you were able to and you be, could there. be in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's like such a, a metaphor for life, right? Because it, there's always a voice. There's always somebody else's opinions. I mean, I think everybody struggles with that to a point. Like one of the things I was thinking about before, I was actually talking this morning to my boys. I'm like, what should I ask Jay? You know, and so we were talking about this and and we were we were talking about like loud noises around you, like like proverbially and, and actually. And so like one of the questions was like this scenario, you're on the mound, the bases are loaded, the counts against you, 
there's millions of people watching you like in the stands and on TV and you have to get to that quiet place where you're going to pitch that next ball. Like what, how did you do that? Maybe that's a better way to get to the answer. Like what in that moment, what were you doing? A lot of it was for me being able to quiet, you know, everything. And again, there are times where I fail that there are hundreds of times I failed at that exact moment where too much, I let too much in and couldn't focus. But I think, um, once again, if you can trust the process of all the work in between the bullpens, you know, the body prep, the mental prep, if you can kind of just be in that moment. And, and I think we've learned that like positive self-talk isn't much of a thing, but like kind of, I said, it it certainly doesn't hurt, but just Mm -hmm. being able to move forward to the next thing without Mm -hmm. being, without having that like buzz in the back of, Ooh, I just got hurt on this situation, but being able to move forward on it. And, um, again, if I could have done that a hundred percent of the time, you know, Mm -hmm. would have had an even different career, but, um, yeah, that was kind of the, just finding that, that ability to, to move forward after each pitch. To let it go and keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so hard in life in general. And I, I, I'm curious about it personally, just because I struggle with it just in things. It's like something didn't go the way you wanted. And instead of rehashing it, it's like, okay, let's just keep moving forward. I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's a challenge of life. I mean, and I think the other piece that in my observation, I don't, you know, I, I know a couple of people who have played in the MLB ancillarily, kind of like I know you, you know, like through friends. And my observation has been that it's, you know, some people think it's, it's very glamorous and I'm not saying it's not, it's a huge and amazing opportunity, but it's also kind of hard because you can be traded at the drop of a hat. You know, one, one game goes great. One game goes South. You know, it, it, there's like a lot of nonlinearity to, the sport, at least in my observation. And so it's kind of along the same lines as mindset. It's like, there's a lot of adaptability that you've probably had to learn. Like, what is it like when, you know, they're like, oh, you're getting traded or, I mean, your friend gets traded or whatever it is. Like, how have you kind of learned to adapt in those situations? It's a great question. It's, it's, it's been a learning process for sure. I, you know, the, I was traded four or five times throughout my career. And, um, the first time I cried, I mean, when I, um, I couldn't, I, you know, it was hard to control my emotions and the, the more you play, the more you, you see guys get traded and happens to you a couple of times, you learn the business aspect. And, mm-hmm. um, again, you just kind of move forward and it, you, to kind of go back to that feeling is we all definitely get stuck in yeah. whatever parts of our life and it's how we're able to move forward. And I say that like, it's an easy thing. And I admit that it's not because there's bigger things we get stuck on, you know, Mm -hmm. and just some small things. And those are hard to overcome. But um, I think just learning the business of, of of baseball and and seeing how it works sort of, sort of helped me just process that like, Hey, we're, we're, you're good friends with, with guys. And a lot of times that just, that moves around. So, Mm -hmm. um, this last year in particular, I was really fortunate. Sometimes it works out great where you, you move on to a different organization and a, a whole different um, scenario and you can, you're able to thrive in it a little bit better than, than the one you were in with some, some fresh change. So it can be a good thing as well if you embrace it. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Like just embracing the change and, you know, knowing that there maybe there's something better, right? Because I think a lot of times when we, we have something that has happened, whether it's a baseball game or a, something in life, it's like we get stuck in the past and we don't consider the idea that maybe there's something better coming for us. Yeah, right? to, to think, you know, that, you know, the grass isn't always greener, but sometimes it is. And sometimes there's, you know, some more options for you and a new way to, to look at sign of the, the same scenario. And I feel like in my, in my case, it was a trade, but it's the same game, same rules, same everything. It's just a different team doing the same thing. But just that change can be really refreshing. Mm-hmm. And do you think that some of that experience of like getting traded and moving to different teams also helped to quiet those like critical voices too? Because you did realize what the process was, that it was a business essentially, and that you were kind of, did you feel like it was like you were out, it was like every man for himself sort of thing? Or did you get that feeling of a team? Like, what does that feel like when you're, people are getting traded around? I guess I've never thought of that part. Yeah, that's a good question. It's a lot of both. I mean, it's it's a very individual sport, but also when, when you're on one of those special kind of teams, you really do come together, you know, and you, um, you go to dinner together, you know, you're out there, you know, 100 degrees, you're battling, you know, on the sun, those summer dog days and like, you know, working together, there's some camaraderie that's built in that. But at the same time, we know, you know, especially if your, your team's not in a great position, come the trade deadline, you know, probably some guys might be going. So there's both. There's both. Yeah. I mean, it, you mentioned teammates and I, so I was, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, so my son Chase is really into basketball. He plays on a travel basketball team and he loves basketball. And I recently read, um, this study, it was about NBA players. And it basically said that teams that celebrated with high fives or fist pumps, um, more often scored efficiently and won games than average teams. And on the other side of the, of the, of the aisle, teams with worse body language who really didn't kind of like encourage one another with a high five or whatever, um, ended up losing more games. So there was like this correlation between encouraging your teammates and wins and losses. Now, I don't know all the details of the study, but this is the part that I've read. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about being a teammate, being what it's like, how important it is to be a good teammate. That um, I believe that study that you mentioned 100 percent, it definitely makes sense to me. Um, That's interesting. I feel like first and foremost, you really it's so important to want your teammates to do well, Mm because if there's any kind of jealousy or anything else that really can creep in and create, you know, a cancer there. So when you see teams, like you mentioned, that maybe you're high fiving and have some genuine excitement for their teammates doing good and showing them the respect of, Hey, I saw you do that. Here's a high five. You know, like I see how a better energy is created and a more positive energy. And conversely, if you have body, bad body language and you you feel like nobody cares what you're doing out there or maybe they don't want you to do well, that can really kind of suck the energy down. So, um, so as far as, you know, teammates, I think it's important. It's one of my favorite things was even off the field was, you know, we get into a city after a day game on maybe a Sunday and grab a couple guys and go to dinner and just learn a little bit more about them. 
you know, mm-hmm. instead of just seeing each other at the, at the field. But of course the field stuff is very important too. You want to be in the dugout representing them and supporting everybody. Um, and then the best teams I've been on had the best of those. Yeah. I'm sure that they did. So like so much about sports translates into life, right? I mean, I think that everybody that, I mean, I just think sports are such an important part of life. I grew up playing them. My brothers and sisters did. My dad played college football. Like, you know, it's just always been part of, of our life. My husband played college football. Like it's just, I think so much translates. Like what have you learned that you're like, I, these are, these are skills and attributes that I want my kids to have in their life. Like, whether they're athletes or not, but just like the, the principles or like the concepts that you feel like you gained out of being an athlete at such a high level. You're like, I want my kids to have these qualities. Yeah. Great question. I think being part of a team is just huge. You learn everybody's got to have a different function going for the same goal. Um, learning how to deal with different personalities, mm-hmm. getting along with maybe somebody you might otherwise not get along with, but cause you're all pulling for the same goal. One of the hardest things is dealing with failure and losing and learning yourself and learning, you know, how to avoid that as best as possible, but also accept it when it, when it happens. And um, I think that's, what's great for, and I think it's great that, kids play team sports and any sports, but especially team sports, it really helps you with all of those things and mm-hmm. navigate relationships. Um, so I just think that's really important. So I certainly encourage it whenever possible. Whenever they can. So you mentioned failures and I wanted to ask you about, you know, just like, what are some of the things that were the highs for you, you know, and what are some of the, if, whatever you're willing to share that were like, kind of low points and maybe reflect on, on some of those. Sure. Um, so I think the, the hardest thing in my career was sort of understanding, you know, was failing at that level of that kind of like, uh, you know, everybody sees it. If they're a fan, you know, they check, they, they see what's going on. And sometimes I can think the whole world sees it and people care about it more than they really do. Um, so kind of just living with, um, you know, failure to an extreme. I, I always felt and it. This wasn't a healthy thing, but I always felt that uh, I was so concerned with what my family and friends were feeling when I didn't have a good game. Like mm. I felt how uncomfortable they must be sitting in the stands or watching the game or something. And it, that really, really bothered me. Uh, and it, I struggled sometimes, you know, realizing that that doesn't affect how they feel about me as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, But that was the biggest challenge. And then um, some of the biggest benefits are just, again, being able to grow up and live a dream. Like I said, I want to be a professional baseball player, being able to do that, being able to travel, meet so many different people. I was on eight different teams, um, played for eight different cities. So, um, just really fortunate in that respect. Did you, do you have, I don't know if you're willing to say this, but do you have a favorite team or city or experience that you were like, that was just awesome. 
Yeah, a couple that stand out was I, I was so lucky. My first two seasons, we went to the World Series and we won wow. it the first year and we lost the second. And everybody was like, you don't realize how lucky you are. Your first two years, some people play the whole career, don't even make the playoffs, let alone the World Series. So that was just so green and, and new. And I was just that, that 2008 Phillies World Series whole season was was pretty amazing. And then for a personal level, as far as how, how I performed, uh, a couple of years in Toronto, 2016 in particular, was was a lot of fun. I really love that city and there's so much energy in that place. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Those were kind of two standouts for you. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go back, you said you had, you know, kind of two great years. And was you were in Toronto two years or three years? Uh, I was in Toronto two different times for two and a half years. Each. Okay. So, but you said you did well at kind of in your last stint there. Was there something that, you know, we were talking about before, like why are sometimes we're on or sometimes like, you know, what, why do you think that was it that it was just fun that you love the team? Or was it the energy? Like, what do you think the outside forces are that like meet with where we're at as people to kind of create that success or like that, that energy that that produces like good performance? Great question. I think for me, it was actually pretty specific. I had to do just a lot of like self-reflection on what kind of pitcher I really was. Mm. And this was a little bit before kind of some of the new age analytics was was available. I was always trying to kind of be a pitcher that that I really wasn't, that I like was never going to have a lot of success being a certain type of pitcher, I sort of had to just embrace what made me good. And I remember there was a couple of years there that I was like really trying to figure that out. Um, and then when I went to Toronto and, and signed there um, the second time, I had a great pitching coach and we kind of just went against the traditional model of what a pitcher should be. Hmm. And then Sure enough, a couple of years, most recent years, we see all these analytics and this guy's got a certain pitch that really works. And instead of trying to use four or five pitches, go ahead and rely on a couple ones that are really good. Wow. Um, so it was an interesting thing. But, I, you know, I wasted a couple of years, so to speak, wasted trying to be somebody that maybe I shouldn't or the kind of pitcher I shouldn't. And then luckily found the kind that I should be and, and tried to utilize those strengths. So that's like such an interesting point because we do that as people, like we try to be things that we're not, or we're like, oh, I really want to, you know, instead of embracing like who we are, what did that look like in pitching? Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So it was, uh, you know, I never threw very hard for, for major league baseball standards very fast necessarily but I was always able to kind of get some swing and misses at the top of the strike zone with a fastball that wasn't really overpowering, but it was overpowering because it had a little life to it. It had a little rise to it compared to a normal fastball. Um, and that just has to do with the backspin of the ball. But we didn't know that until a couple, you know, a couple of years, but I, we, we would always see it. But traditionally people think, you're going to eventually get hurt if you keep pitching that way because wow. we don't understand that that's a special pitch. We think it's just a normal pitch up in the zone. So I just kind of had to, to learn to utilize that fastball up in the zone and, and then a change up kind of in the bottom of the zone and try to kind of make those two work off each other. So you had to kind of like figure out what worked for you in collaboration with like where your talents were. 
Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah, it was it was it, and it was kind of against the grain because traditionally everybody says throw the ball down in the zone. And, and this was me specifically saying, I'm going to throw my fastball up in the zone up because the zone. it gets hit less up there. And nobody knew, knew why at the time, really. They just knew it's hard to see or something's deceptive. Um, so then I just kind of focused on that's where I'm really trying to go um, instead of like it sometimes accidentally happening. So previous to that, were your coaches trying to get you to throw down in the zone, like to kind of be like all the other pitchers? If you, I mean, I don't know pitching like you do, but is that what they were trying to do? Exactly. That's exactly. And that's why I say, I don't want to say I wasted, but like I, I spent a couple seasons trying to pitch that way and I, it was not effective. It wasn't natural for you. Yeah. I just, my, my ball didn't work the same, you know, the, the hitters would hit it when it was down there a lot more than when it was up. And if you yeah. take the majority of pitchers, when they throw down, they don't get hit. It was just hmm. the way my pitches played. So then would it also be fair to say that it was maybe this coach in Toronto that kind of like saw that in you and was willing to kind of help you just be you? 100%. 100%. I've had a lot of great coaches over the years, but Pete Walker in Toronto was um, instrumental in just mm. being like, go ahead and do it. Like we're, we're starting to see it, you know, let's go ahead and go there more often. And um, yeah, always appreciate him for that. Cause he kind of freed me up to like, just let me try it. Mm. That's so cool. I, I think that's such like an awesome like metaphor for life, like finding people in our lives who would just let us be who we are and, and don't put us in a box. Like that's so, that's, a, that's, a, I've never, like thought of it in that way, but that's really cool. Well, how great would that be if nobody tried to put us in a box, right? It's just so natural for everybody to have a opinion and a presumption about, you know, who they want you to be instead of yeah. kind of just embracing. I mean, that's a pretty good metaphor. I agree. It's, it is. And even to back to what you said, I feel like you've had this like master class in being who you are because you know, like you said, you, you mentioned before that you would feel like you had let your family or friends down if you didn't perform well. And it's like you had to work through that. And, um, and I'm sure they didn't feel that way, but like, that's how you felt. And so you had to like work on yourself with that. I mean, I think that, you know, all of these things, like, do you feel like you're a completely different person than you were like five or 10 years ago? Like, since you've been through this, like in terms of your, self-awareness and even self-confidence? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, having a family and raising a family actually really sort of helped my career. I remember when we first had my son, our first, um, he, it was just such a switch. I was so selfish with my feelings and wearing everything on my sleeve and come bringing everything home and, you know, sort of having a family and stuff. I had so many new priorities and um, loves that I was able to kind of just turn it on and off a little bit better. And I think it helped my headspace um, to like separate professional mm -hmm. and personal life a little bit. You kind of like got out of your own head a little bit. Yes. And well, yeah. And I just think that it must be healthy because it wasn't necessarily like a, I mean, of course I would try, but I would struggle 
mm-hmm. when it was just me or just uh, my wife and I, you know, I was always a little better with her. But then especially when the kids came, because it was just, uh, you know, they didn't care if I did good or bad. <laughs> different, you know, so it was just it was just a mental break that like I didn't have for a while. And I just think it help sleep and recovery and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it helps have balance in life. I mean, I think that's one of the things kids do. And then like, we don't have as much time for ourselves or to do the things that we want to do. So we have to maximize <laughs> the time that we have. Right. I mean, that's for what sure. they do to us. So one of my questions about like that whole thing about time and maximize maximization is like, you probably had to invest a lot of time in, in your nutrition and your sleep and your, you know, well-being, like what, what did that look like? Like when you were, you were at your best? Yeah. So I think I got lucky in college. I had a roommate that was kind of really changed my view on, on food. And like, he was a really healthy eater and he knew a lot about it. And, um, it kind of changed my perspective to focus on that a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we focused, um, you know, there's always, there's a cost involved with, with sort of eating healthier, but I, it's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, worth the, the squeeze there. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, I guess just in short, we put it as a, it's a priority for, mm-hmm. you know, sleep recovery, um, nutrition is, uh, you know, and a lot of teams now are, are kind of getting, figuring that out. Early in my career, it was not that way, but a lot of mm. sports teams are really spending a lot of money on those type of things. Are you, I mean, so most people that listen to this, and if you don't know, but Jay's sister-in-law is one of my best friends and she's like an amazing yoga practitioner. Um, I would say Bridget's like a pretzel. I mean, she's just incredible at what she does. Have you incorporated things like yoga or other kinds of, I would say in quotes, alternative types of movement or exercise into your training? Yes. Um, I, I don't, I could never do anything close to what Bridget's able to do, but I have, um, a long time ago done some yoga things. I don't as much anymore, but what I will say is we moved a lot of more like, uh, auxiliary exercises in our strength training programs, which is like, um, a lot of movement prep and a lot of movement based for your like thoracic spine and just making Mm -hmm. sure your, your functional movement is, is at its you know, best or as, as best it can be that day. So, uh, I think a lot of people might think maybe you just run out there and do some sprints and, and you, you know, you're ready to go, but there's a lot of, uh, prep work before you even get out on the field and, uh, to get ready for a game. So a lot of that stuff is important. Um, and it really shows a, a little deficiency goes a long way, mm-hmm. uh, on the playing field. So, mm-hmm. That's super interesting. I, I'm wondering, I want to talk a little bit about youth sports and kids and sports. Um, you lettered in two sports in high school, baseball and basketball. How did you choose baseball? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to play a sport in college. And, um, after my junior year, we kind of realized that my baseball might be the better path. I mean, I got a, I went up to a camp at Northwestern and kind of tried to showcase myself to the coaches and was able to, at the end of that summer, get a, a scholarship there. Mm-hmm. And I just figured, man, I can't turn this down. I want to try to, you know, go get an education and 
Um, you know, if something works out baseball wise, that would be great, but, um, maybe I can get the best of both worlds. Um, so unfortunately that worked out. That's kind of how that went. So, you know, I think like youth sports are, it's kind of fascinating to me, you know, there's a lot of pressure on young kids to choose a sport. I mean, my son is 10 and, you know, and then I have another one that's 13 and who's really into running and cross country and wants to run a sub 430 mile and all these things, you know, and, and so they're, they're each have their own interests. But what I'm noticing is like, there's, you know, a lot of travel sports. And so it's expensive and it's time consuming. And, you know, I have kids that do that and that's all great, but it seems like there's a lot of pressure even to choose a sport at such a young age because the time that we're having kids invest in one single sport is so intensive. Um, what do you think about that? I'm hearing this so much from, from a lot of friends and, and, and family even too. Um, I know that it must be really tempting because I think the thought maybe is, well, if I can special, you know, I'll have a better chance at sport X if he specializes in sport X, but, Mm -hmm. and that may be true. I don't know. But what I do know is that you become a better athlete and more well-rounded, the more sports you play, because you're doing different things with your body, Mm -hmm. you know, running, jumping, swimming, stopping, starting, all those different things um, with different sports teach you how to first that you learn your body and then, you know, you grow strength and mobility by doing all these different mm-hmm. sports. I just think that it's a benefit to do a lot of those for your greater athletic ability. And then maybe as you get a little bit older, maybe into high school, maybe then you can maybe narrow it down to a couple or mm-hmm. whatever, but that's, that's kind of what I think about that, but I certainly understand the the pressure to kind of, you know, specialize early. It's it's mm-hmm. a tricky thing. It is, and I think sometimes it takes the fun away. You know, there's a lot of pressure I think on kids at such a young age to play at such a level. And I mean, I love sports. I'm super competitive. I love watching my kids play. But I also, you know, I noticed it's funny. My son played just his Catholic school basketball team this this fall you know and then he also plays on a travel team and he plays up a year I almost noticed him having more fun on his Catholic school like CYO or whatever they call it team because he was just having fun and there wasn't the pressure to to do all of these different things and play against kids a year or two older than you and so I think sometimes we like have missed the fun of sports a little bit and I that's something that you know it's got to be fun right or else like what's the point (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's totally. And I think you're right. And I think there's risk of burnout when it's the same sport over and over and over. That's, you know, I remember, you know, it was basketball season, baseball season, football season. Then it was, you know, you do whatever you want. You play in the yard, you go climb a tree, you know, whatever, run on hills, like what, whatever, play with your friends, you know. But uh, it was always exciting to kind of turn that next season over into mm-hmm. doing something new. And then that kind of, helps with burnout, I guess, a little bit. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. And I mean, I love hearing you say that because I totally agree. I think it's something and maybe it will switch around at some point. I also think a lot of parents live vicariously through their kids. <laughs> I don't know if I should say that, but I do think it's true. And uh, I think it adds to the complication of some of that stuff. Sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, you and your wife, Morgan, are super generous people. I know that like giving back means a lot to both of you. 
I'm just curious, like what causes, what causes matter to you? And, 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 you know, are there any places that you see yourself like wanting to make an impact? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. So we started our foundation a couple of years ago, kind of mainly focused on, um, relationships we have or have had. So, um, really like to, you know, we've helped out our high school. We went to the same high school together. I've helped out with some building stuff at, at the college at Northwestern. Um, we've given back to our hometown. We've helped, uh, build a sp splash pad there. And, uh, you know, now that, you know, recently retired, we're going to have some more time to focus on, you know, exactly what we want to narrow in on, but we do know it's going to be focused on kids and, and helping kids. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I know you guys have done that. I remember reading about the splash pad and that was a really cool project. So, and you guys have been generous to the Ethan Lindbergh foundation and to the families that we've served too. And I just want to thank you for that and that focus because, um, you know, that is a big deal. And I think that that is such an amazing way to use your gifts and resources and talents to take care of other people. And I, I, I love that you both have that way about you. So thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be a part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you just mentioned that you're retiring from baseball. And so that is a really, really big decision. And I'm wondering, and I know it's a new decision. So it's something that you've just come to very, very recently. Can you tell us about how you made that decision? Yeah. So it, this is an interesting thing. So coming into this last off season, basically this winter was our last off season. I was preparing, you know, to play in the event that a situation came up that, that I wanted to, to try. Um, so all the, all the training and everything was still there, but like mentally I was trying to figure out, you know, is this time, do I want to go, you know, maybe one more year or let, let's kind of see. And I kind of got to the point where it was opening day and I went and I turned the TV first game on and I talked to my wife, Morgan, and I said, what are you feeling? And she just kind of looked at me and she was like, oh, a little anxiety, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to turn it on to see if I, what I felt too. And I, I didn't maybe feel what I needed to feel in order to be like, I want to want to keep doing this. So I, mm -hmm. I felt like that was a sign of like, okay, let's, it, it's time to go. Um, even though I had kind of put the work in to be ready, if the right situation came, I, I felt like, um, it was time to kind of move on and, and be a dad and dive into the kids a little bit. And, mm -hmm. Is that, um, was it something that you're able to do and kind of move on from, or is it something that you found yourself kind of going back and forth on? Cause it, I mean, you've spent so much of your life doing this. Yeah. I, I mean, I went back and forth from, for, you know, pretty much the whole winter, but really the, you know, the month before then going back and forth. And, um, even now it was emotional, you know, something I didn't expect. I was very emotional. I, you yes. know, I had called my agent that day, like right after we turned that game on. And I, I said, I think this is it. And, um, you know, told the people I feel like I needed to tell. And, um, so I'm, I think I'm still processing it, you know, yeah. um, but I do wake up feeling good about it and I'm happy to, to start the process of, 
being full-time dad for the time being at very least and, um, you know, have that time with them before I figure out kind of what's next. What you're going to do next. I'm wondering if you can, um, I know you have a great family. I don't know them, but you know, I'm sure they have been such a big part of your career from all the games that they've taken you to and your parents I'm sure have been there and any of sisters like how, just talk to us a little bit about them. Cause I'm sure they've been such an important part of your journey. Yeah. I mean, so, so supportive. It's, it's, um, I have two sisters and, and, and my parents and, um, you know, and obviously my family too, but, uh, my wife and kids, but, um, uh, my parents and my sisters so supportive, always checking in, always traveling multiple times a year to come make sure they can catch a game, bring their kids, try to give them that experience. Um, I couldn't have asked for anything more. And I think going back to how I was able to handle some of the trades and some of just the, the grind that can be a baseball season. If I didn't have that support, I would not have made it through. I just have, um, you know, the best of the best in my opinion. So, um, yeah, just really lucky to, they fell in love with the game too. And, and such great support. Yeah. And I'm sure their joy was just watching you play because as a parent, there's nothing better than watching your kid be happy. So I'm sure that was everything to them. I think so. I think they enjoyed it. I think they enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 So I was um, the other day I was like scrolling through Instagram and I saw this post and it was it caught my eye because it was kind of on this topic of, of evolving and changing. And this this I don't even know who the person was, but they were writing about how, you know, there are seasons in our life, like, you know, seasons for jobs, seasons for where we live, seasons for what we do. And we live in this culture that kind of says that when you're done with a season, like it's easy to feel like you've failed. Like, oh, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. So I must have failed at it because I'm not going to be doing, or I'm hard on myself because I'm going to release it. Or we don't do a good job of like releasing things. And I'm, these are my words. I'm not putting them in your mouth, but I just found that interesting. And because I am in some of those changes in my own life, but how we like, there are seasons for things. There are seasons and then there's some, there's going to be something else and there's going to be another season. Like, what do you want to take with you in this next season of your life? And like, how does that idea sit with you? That's really interesting. I think that makes sense. Cause I've been, I, I feel that way quite a bit, like trying to process this, the parlaying from playing to not playing to, you know, being here a lot more. Um, but I, I definitely feel like that was a chapter that is just closing. And then there's this great opportunity for new chapters to be written. And that was like a big part of my life and a lot of chapters of what will be my book. But, um, I'm also, feel like I'm ready and excited to kind of turn that page to the new one and see, see what's going to be written there. So, um, I think that makes sense. I think it will be challenging. I think we all have that challenge, like you mentioned to not sort of take it with you. Like maybe there's something else that could have happened there, but maybe just try to, you know, feel blessed for, for what you did have. And, um, try to move forward. Like we talked about. Try to move forward. One of the things that I want to ask you one last question, I ask all my guests before we leave, but I want to go back to one thing because you said you turned on the TV the day of opening day and you kind of just felt like 
it was time to move on. Like, would you call that your intuition? Like, what would you call that? Like still small voice? Like what was that? That kind of just, and then you obviously trusted it, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. You know, I'm not sure what I could call it. I think maybe just, just my instinct of, Mm -hmm. I I think I needed to feel a certain way seeing that. And if I didn't, then I I think I was just going to know. I was obviously probably leaning that way a little bit to like be Mm -hmm. ready to make a decision definitively. But up until that day, I I had not made a definitive Mm -hmm. decision. So that kind of just put it over the edge of like, do I get the feeling of, man, I want to be out there? Or do I start thinking about other things that's involved in moving your family across the country and all the things that that entails? And I just felt like um, I had a great run and, and I guess just intuition said, I, I think it's okay to, to start the next one. To let it go. That's cool. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I, I ask all my guests, I always just pick one question and I ask kind of everybody on my, and my season, this get this question. So um, it's what tool or piece of advice has served you best in becoming the person that you are today? This is a, yeah. So growing up, my mom told me this close to a million times. She'd say, she'd say, you can do anything you put your mind to. And she would say it about the simplest thing or the most ridiculously seemingly impossible thing, you mm. know, up when you ask when you're a kid and you ask those questions can I be a this can I do this mm-hmm. she would literally and I'll you know she would just say you can do anything you put your mind to and it almost got to the point it was silly you know you'd roll your eyes when she'd say it almost sometimes but I mean I just think something in that stuck in me as a reality really like I for for my career I just felt like if I put my mind to it, I was going to find a way to, to do that, to get there. Um, so I, I don't know, I give her credit. She probably had to be sick and tired of saying it, but she, mm-hmm. she ingrained that in me. And I think that's a good one. You can do anything you put your mind to. And uh, so I'm grateful for her and for that. I love that. It's like she gave you a vision for your life in some way in those words. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah. uh, it was ing- she ingrained it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great mom. I'm going to use that with my kids. <laughs> I do say that to my kids a lot, actually. I always tell them hard work pays off. And the, so I usually say hard work and I make them say pays off and then they roll their eyes. But hey, you know, maybe I'm onto something. I love that. You are onto something. Keep it up. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jay, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. And I just wish you the best in whatever this next season has for you and your family. I know you're going to do great things. Um, You have an awesome attitude and just perspective. I think that a lot of people are going to love listening to your words. Oh, thank you, Jessica. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me here on the HeartStrong Podcast. Please rate and review this podcast and share an episode that you love with a friend. And when you do, it helps us continue our mission of encouraging people to grow through the challenges in their lives. This podcast is brought to you by the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation and the HeartStrong Collective. To learn more about our work, please visit theheartstrong.com. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the HeartStrong Podcast.